Hello, and today we find ourselves on the 28th Sunday of Ordinary Time. And the Gospel reading today is the Gospel of the Wedding Banquet, where many are invited, but they refuse the invitation. As the parable that Jesus tells today in the Gospel shows, salvation can be seen as the greatest party ever thrown. But equally salvation in another image, can be seen as peace in the quiet, secure life as described in the very loved responsorial psalm of today's Mass, Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd. To be united to Christ, to live in his house, to be a member of the church, is like being the sheep of the best shepherd imaginable. But being invited to the banquet, to the flock, to the church, to salvation, as we know, doesn't mean the same as accepting the invitation. Just because God desires that everyone belong to his kingdom does not mean that it will happen. And that's why we prayed in the collect of today's Mass that God's grace would, quote, at all times go before us and follow after and make us always determined to carry out good works. End of quote. Grace is a word that we use quite a lot, isn't it? And indeed at times in the history of the church there have been heated debates about what grace, what grace is and what it does. So I thought this Sunday I would give a brief overview of what the Church teaches us about grace. To define it in a simple way and in one sentence, grace is a participation in the very life of God. This divine life is shared with us in our immortal souls in different ways. In baptism, the soul receives sanctifying grace, or as the catechism is bold enough to call it, deifying grace, grace that makes us like God. God's own life now dwells in the soul. Sanctifying grace remains with the person unless something destroys it. A person who dies in the state of sanctifying grace cannot be separated from God because God cannot separate himself from his own life. Catholics generally speak of this as being in a state of grace. To receive Holy Communion, a soul must be in the state of grace. If someone knowingly and freely receives communion when not in a state of grace she or he commits a further grave sin. As St. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 11.29, in this case we eat and drink judgment upon ourselves. Now sanctifying grace can be lost, or another way to put it is rendered dead in the soul on account of mortal sin. Mortal sin requires that a person acts to do a grave wrong with full knowledge and consent. Such a soul is spoken of as not being in a state of grace 
but in a state of mortal sin. Upon death in such a state, that person would not have the life of God within her or him, and so would not be able to be in God's presence in heaven, for God does not share his life with those who are freely chosen to reject it. God forces no one to be in heaven. He knows that a soul in mortal sin would not be happy in God's presence anyway. The usual way that those who have committed mortal sin to return to a state of grace is the sacrament of penance, confession, which requires a confession of sins, contrition for them, and a firm purpose of amendment. Is the soul in a state of mortal sin deprived of sanctifying grace and then left to itself, severed from God without his help? Hardly the case. God desires that the sinner be reconciled and he comes to the sinner's assistance. God gives the help of his grace, but here a distinction is made between sanctifying grace and actual grace. Sanctifying grace is habitual or enduring, a state of the soul. Actual grace is a discrete, separate act of God's help, a once-only, as we might say, or occasion by occasion. Every day, God showers actual graces upon everyone. We often pray precisely for such graces in this or that particular circumstance. For those in a state of grace, actual graces confirm and deepen an an existing relationship with God. For the unbaptized and those in a state of mortal sin, actual graces are not lacking, for God prompts them to seek conversion and reconciliation. Often these actual graces take the form of the promptings of conscience. Actual graces are what permits those not in the state of grace to live uprightly in some respects. The Catechism also speaks of sacramental graces, which are gifts proper to the sacraments, but that might be for another time. Why does God give grace to our souls? Because he loves us, and he wants us to be with him forever in heaven. The parable of the wedding feast in today's Gospel reading teaches us that heaven is like the best party given by the best party giver. People are all together, feasting, singing and dancing, wearing splendid garments. By the way, the man who had no wedding garment did not get to that situation by accident. He didn't forget to buy one, or he didn't get one handed to him at the door. He deliberately did not want one. In scripture, the wedding garment is symbolic of righteous deeds that accompany faith. So because he chose not to act on his faith, he did not belong at the wedding feast. His fate is a reminder of hell, where the soul is bound, not free, in the dark and alone. Instead of singing, there is wailing. Instead of eating and drinking, there is grinding of teeth. 
The Eucharist, which the Church celebrates daily, is an anticipation of the heavenly glory that God desires for each person. It is the opening of the door a little for us, a peep, if you like, into the heavenly wedding banquet. At each Mass the Church turns her loving gaze towards Christ who is to come. And this turning towards Christ who is to come can be done in posture by the priest and people facing the same direction, as well as in bricks and mortar with the church facing east. The east is the place of the rising sun, the resurrection, and the east is the direction from where Christ will come again to judge the living and the dead and the world, and to shepherd all his faithful people into the glory and joy of the heavenly banquet. The, bless, the best party ever. Today also gives me an opportunity to explain the image that usually goes with the podcast and also a little more of what the title is of my podcasts, Behold, I Stand at the Door and Knock. And it ties in with the wedding banquet and the choice that God provides for us, but also helps us to make the choice for the kingdom of God, the choice for heaven. And it's quite a radical choice, isn't it? At certain points in our life, and certainly at the moment of death, we are required to give up everything. We must, throughout our life, open the door to Christ so he can come in. Not just open it a crack so we can peer out at him. He must come totally and fully inside our soul and inside our life. So the image that goes with the podcast is called The Light of the World and it was painted by an English artist called William Hunt. He painted it in 1852 as an expression of his own personal conversion to Christ. It shows the large wooden door of a country cottage, which is located on the edge of a forest, far away from other houses or towns. Around the door weeds have grown up, and the landscape looks abandoned, uncultivated and hostile. It is night time. In the darkness the full moon forms a halo around the head of Christ, who is standing at the door. Of the cottage. He holds a lantern in his left hand, and with his right hand he is knocking on the door. Hunt was part of the pre Raphaelite school of painters who were interested in complex symbolism. So in this painting, the cottage symbolizes the soul, the door is human freedom. And Christ is the light that brings hope and meaning to the darkness within. It's quite a haunting painting in many of its details. First of all, it's counterintuitive to have a stranger wandering the woods at night time carrying a light. Usually the light would come from inside the building and the strange wanderer would be seeking relief from the darkness outside. But another detail is even more eloquent. 
No doorknob or handle can be seen on the outside of the door. This implies that the door can only be opened from within. Christ is knocking on the outside, patiently waiting to bring his light into the house. But only the one or those inside the house can let him in. Our lives must be open to Christ, day by day, situation by situation. We must allow Christ in. There can be no doors within our inner self or in our exterior life too that are closed to Christ. When the door is open to Christ, we are on the pathway to heaven. And no matter how simple or ordinary the circumstances of our life, we have a share in the wedding feast of heaven. May God bless you.